Welcome back, everyone. Today's conversation is about police and prison abolition. For me, I understand abolition to be the creative undoing of harmful systems. It's a black liberatory tradition. I'm curious to know what abolition means for you, for the both of you, you know? I think abolition is a very important and like foundational framework um, that really feeds into like many other frameworks. Uh, if we're going to be successful as a on a spectrum of minority people living in America, right? If we're going to be uh, successful in a drive towards liberation in the future, we will have to use abolition framework in many aspects, if not every aspect of driving that liberation, right? So one, one specific thing that is like very important to me is like our public school system. And, you know, using the framework of abolition to, you know, get rid of what we know is harming children um, in schools, outside of schools, right? And everything involving the education system, like what, um, Chima said earlier, with one of her first protests started in high school, organizing around a SRO student resource officer being placed inside of her building um, of the school and enacting harm on the students, right? A lot of people don't know that these are multi-million dollar, not like four or five, six million, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar contracts that they're Public school, hell, my middle school had a student resource officer, right? So, um, that the school is paying for. Yeah, that the school is paying for, right? And so, so if you're sitting at home, right, and you have kids right now, like, really think your child's public education institution is paying tens of millions of dollars to place your child, to place somebody in the environment where your child is supposed to be safe. If you are a minority, that's not the reality. You know, our proximity to police is 100% in correlation to the violence that we experience throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. So how could placing a child, you know, and we, we, we probably all sitting here know all of the reasons because news media helps make a portfolio of all these things, right? Mm -hmm. It's the gangs in schools, of course, right? So they need, another gang, which is the police, um, to, 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 come, to come fight all these gangs, right? Which they've failed to do for what, 50 years now? In, in Chicago alone, um, you know? So there's a lot of faux reasoning that, that goes into these things and drives, um, drives the budget up, you know, drive the budget up, get more SROs in the buildings. And with that, we see a decrease in learning a decrease in literacy, you know, but we, but we see that though, when um, that, that's a big thing that a lot of people harp on police um, about is that nothing that they bring to the table is data driven. It's fear driven, right? It's like somebody, this, we need a, we We're need not a, true data. They'll, right. they'll, bring, right. they'll drive it with some data. Yeah, right. numbers, a random numbers. A private investigator, right? We had a private investigator who, you go look up the private investigator. It was your homie, your cousin's and, mom's hamster. No, like. <laughs> my, my thing is, it'd be them. It'd be like, it'd be like some dude who served like 15 years in the Navy and you know what I'm saying, was on SEAL Team 6 or whatever, was like, was the private investigator. And it's all like, okay, well that don't give me no answers because like y'all pensions are linked. So of course, like y'all is all homies, you know? So again, it's like 
the things that we know that really help educational institutions are oftentimes being intercepted by police, whether that is the feelings of safety, right? Or the actual money that we need to use to get modern books and things like that into these schools. Um, or just even building enhancements. You know, walking in high school does not have air conditioning, but the city wants to give Waukegan police a brand new police department. How, how is this happening when it's May 13th and your kid is sweating his ass off literally in the, in the high school because this is a 115 year old institution with no AC, but the cop that they sent into the school just came from a brand new station. His 2022 Ford Explorer got AC in it. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So I, th I think, and in short, I'm, that was a lot, but I think, you know, abolition can, the abolitionist framework can be used for us to enhance all of these institutions that we have or do away with them and make our own. Like you said, it's about a new creative presence, not withdrawing the school and now there ain't no school. It's about what's the better school is what I'm hearing from you, correct? So that, that's, that's what abolition means for me. What's the better school? Yeah, facts. And I think like that idea of like not withdrawing, just like, you know, I, I think like a lot of people will say, oh, well, if we don't have the police, like what are we gonna do? Who's gonna protect us? Please tell me one time you felt protected by them. Like, please yeah. like make me like a bullet point list what they can do. I was in the car with, um, my friends when an uh, accident missed us by literally just a hair and someone crashed into a house and we hopped out of our car. We had a like medical bag in our car. The police came out with a notepad. They got there maybe 10 minutes before the ambulance got, a, a little less than that, maybe like seven minutes before the ambulance got there. And it's people bleeding out because they just crashed into somebody's home. You can't do first aid. You have no way to like, you can't help anybody. You know, exactly. And so, um, here's the trip. They'll even write a ticket. Yeah, exactly. They're like, well, we can do that. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we, cause now I'm teeing up. I'm like, like be realistic. Exactly. You're not doing anything. Um, I also think like you mentioned the thing about air conditioning and resources and that being like a part of like this framework of abolition. Um, I went to a school, I went to high school in Mount Greenwood. And so Mount Greenwood, um, yeah, <laughs> bless my heart, right? Like, <laughs> no, y'all got that canes. I'm already knowing y'all got that canes. I know. Gee, Mount know. Greenwood for those of y'all that like don't know, Mount Greenwood, um, when, which right, uh, we have our sentiments about war criminals, but when uh, the election happened and Obama ran for president, um, every single uh, neighborhood in Chicago was blue except for Mount Greenwood. So if that tells you, I know that like politics doesn't don't determine you know, certain things, it's more nuanced than that. But if you want just like a gist, right, of the type of neighborhood Mount Greenwood is. Um, but that being said though, it's white and well taken care of. You know what I'm saying? The lawn is mowed at the high school. We have resources, we got books, we got snacks, we got vending machines. Um, just up 111th, which is the street that was on is Morgan Park, mm -hmm. where my both of my sisters went to high school um, in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and we were like vibing, chilling, you know what I'm saying? And they didn't have air conditioning that summer. Mm -hmm. And so I was coming home from school and I was being like, this is all the cool things that I got to see at school and all of this type of stuff. Still, you know, being the only black girl in my honors classes, so there's like, you know, there's nuances, but like still having a relatively great day and my sister being like, yeah, I'm gonna wear a sleeveless shirt to school tomorrow because our air conditioning is not working. And seeing those like types of disparities being like 
the difference being just a few blocks. I think that when I think about like abolition as well, I'm thinking about how like segregated a city like Chicago is and how much it harms the like environments and people that I have grown up around and how we see it like continue to be like nurtured and manifested through things like schooling, through things like parks, through things like, oh yeah, they built a rec center in Beverly or whatever the case is. And it's like, ah, oh, you don't need a membership to go there. You can pay $7 for some skates, but the Croc Center that's up the street, you need a rec center. And that's the one that's like, ah, oh, you know, the blacker it gets, the more it costs, the less resources we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, we can't do this. We don't have money for this, et cetera. But y'all got money for these white kids though. Mm -hmm. And like, even using the neighborhoods that I grew up in, for example, um, or as an example, we think of even how Beverly is structured, being near like Auburn, Gresham, et cetera. So many cul-de-sacs, so many railroads, making it hard to leave the neighborhood. Oh, it's like, you know, like, oh, y'all can't like come over this way. There's like a tiny little piece of, of concrete that separates um, Beverly from Auburn, Gresham, and you could walk over it, but it takes 10 minutes to drive around. And just like seeing like, all of the small like structural pieces that have divided the city to make sure that like folks who are like down stay down and folks who are up stay up. And so when I think about like abolition on a more like tangible level and not even just like how he talks about, yeah, burnish it down, but like what are the steps to burning it down? Those are like the small, small things that I think about um, that are seemingly small, but like make that much of a difference. Um, I also think about like, when we talk about uh, prison abolition, I think a lot of people have this idea about folks who are incarcerated that like they're the bad guys and we're the good guys, no, not knowing that there's like such a little difference between what it is that constitutes that. Like what, who even made up the, who makes up those definitions? Um, I uh, have a poetry corner at the weekly where we um, uh, like accept submissions and a lot of our submissions come from folks who are incarcerated and we'll get letters that say things like, hey, like we don't have the resources we need to keep ourselves safe. We're getting, folks are getting sick, folks are getting hospitalized on the other side, right? Folks who are incarcerated still like in this like echo chamber where like COVID is just like running rampant and killing people and we're just out here vibing. Like that's the type of thing that I think about when I consider abolition that's like this like idea of like individualism. I feel like individualism is a facet of white supremacy. And I feel like the abolitionist like framework really like tackles what it means for us to like share our resources and understand like even though this doesn't directly affect you, like just because like it affecting your neighbor, it affecting the person mm -hmm. next to you is affecting you. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's all over the place. But I think that like a lot of people think of abolition on like this large like scale, like so much to tackle, but there's so many like small bullet points. I, real quick, just to like give Morgan Park a piece of my mind because <laughs> they really need to hear about themselves. Like this is this is another thing with education and resources, right? Is that like a lot of times um, we've been so traumatized that we think that like if we just show them we're good, we're gonna get something, right? Let's talk about how Morgan Park literally has an athlete in the NBA right now. Yet when I was doing work at their school three years ago, they're missing wood paneling in the basketball court. Crazy. And you're producing NBA products. Yeah. It's not about what we lack. We have everything, mm -hmm. you know, but we are institutionally being made to be deficient. In many ways, abolitionists are education advocates, are mm -hmm. healthcare advocates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm educators themselves, our community builders. Mm -hmm. um, but just that notion of the lack of resources in schools is so important because 
from the mainstream media's landscape or particularly from like conservative pundits, but even the, the conservative liberals or the liberal conservatives, they're, they're all one thing. Um, there was this like triggered reaction to the to even the phrase defund police. Mm-hmm. Now oh it's God. become you know, persona non grata in like the established yeah, like government spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting because they've been defunding education. Mm-hmm. All right. these things they've so been y'all defunding. So you do know about defunding. It's just the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we're keep it Chicago, you know, the, the, the Emanuel administration, mm-hmm. the largest school closing in the history of the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. That just happened. Mm-hmm. Defunding public health, right? Yeah. Closing hospitals, closing Michael Reese has to get fought to get open, closing more than half of the Chicago's public mental health centers, mm-hmm. right? So they know how to defund the things that we depend upon. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the political control of violence that is thought to be off the table or that is right. thought to be offensive or something extreme mm-hmm. when neoliberalism has been calling or capitalism or white supremacy, mm-hmm. colonialism, imperialism, they're all the same ism if we really want to mm-hmm. be honest about it, mm-hmm. has been demanding that black people, particularly black and indigenous people, black and brown people be defunded from their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, they defund our lives, we try to defund their violence, and it gets talked about. Mm-hmm. Not as even if as they're equal. E- yeah. right, right. And we don't ask, what is the replacement, right? Because that when we're talking about this abolitionist framework and theory, right, there's another side to that. So when it's happening in our own communities, we're not saying, okay, well, half the mental health clinics are closed, what's popping up? Well you know, if you track the city budget, you see that it's police, more police popping up and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. People's pockets, yeah, pockets getting laced, new corporations, right? Now there's a whatever, Chick-fil-A on the corner and, and, you know, this, this and that. So it's like, I think that's the other part of it too, like to be observational, but then to demand answers and accountability from our elected officials and city and state government, because the money does not disappear. Money circulates. That is the whole basis of capitalist theory. So if you close 50 clinics, 50 schools, and I know that there's no more money there, the money is somewhere else, and I needs to see it. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, and you think about how, like, okay, so they did that, like, survey, the budget survey, where they asked every single, uh, there was representation for every single zip code in Chicago, right? Um, and it was a survey of how do we want the money spent, and it was an overwhelming amount of votes that said, folks wanted the police defunded. And then Lori was like, 87% voted in representation in every zip code. So I don't need anybody saying like, oh, well, it was, I took the survey. Like everybody I know took the survey, exactly. And so then like, you know, Lori was like, oh, that's cute. But anyway, and like, so. This is a fucking trip. So in the first time in the history of US politics, Mm -hmm. our claim was that it's too many white people that support it. That her point was that the north side Mm. and, you know, trying to make it seem like it's not that only white people want the police defunded. Yeah. Ask yourself. So why? That's not true. Yeah. At all. That's really more about who has access to your survey. So Mm -hmm. it's your fault. Right. But secondly, name any other time where having vast majorities of white people was a (laughs) bad thing. Takes you so right so when it so even the way that white supremacy works right like it can have non-white folks mm-hmm. and you know be in power or, or execute these these policies and it could be really in inverted in this way of like even when we get the support of a multiracial coalition mm-hmm. they will still find choose the way that 
emphasizes our dehumanization. Mm-hmm. That's the mask, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, I, I was just reading something earlier, like, about how it's, it's no mistake that a lot of the most obnoxious violence that our communities have experienced have been at the hands of people that look just like us. Mm-hmm. And it almost increases every time it's one of ours. Mm-hmm. And no matter what community you look at, even globally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why you have the police superintendent telling me, oh, my men have been outside nonstop with no day off. So have mine. We've been outside every single day. Y'all have been outside. What the hell are you talking about? And also, like, with their, you know, black police liaison trying to talk to us, stuff like that. I don't know you. I don't know you like that, bro. But it's but it's that. Like you said, it's a, it's a mask or a veil to try to make people feel like they're represented. And it sucks because it's like, Folks do also still yearn to feel represented, still yearn to feel like somebody's identity is a reason why you will understand what it is that I need. And that's not the case. Fuck Lori Lightfoot. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to. Representation. Really? Represent- <laughs> really? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Just Representation like- is ass, in my opinion. Like, that, it's not doing what it needs to do. You feel me? Like, it's definitely, they definitely start tricking people. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's the basis of like what you were saying, too. Like, when we have people with. Um, I don't know if you said this completely, but I might be thinking more of like Fred Hampton. You was just spitting up. Um, and like, you know, when you have, when you have, when you have people, people that on a, on a basis, right, lack political education, and then they're pushed to a position of power, there's no transforming of consciousness in that moment. They only become another proponent of what is existing. So... People lacking political education is really a foundation of what keeps shit going exactly the way that it's going. And abolition is really a call for democracy, uh-huh. participatory democracy, right? Uh-huh. So when we talk about representation or our republic or Republican government, it's to be represented. And I would rather be present, right? Uh-huh. I would rather that if 87% of people say something, that now should be lost. Exactly. Right. Like, nah, I don't need you to summarize what it is we said and then say it for us. You're like misquoting us. This is exactly what we said we wanted. How do we vote on something and then y'all decide, like, mm, whatever? But that's, I mean, look at the way that we picked the fucking president. Like, we yeah. are. Like, so. Yeah. Anything is up for grabs. Yeah. Really. Nah. It's up to be whatever the hell they say it is until we say whatever the hell we say it is. Which is Bernadette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does a world look like where these systems that are oppressing us don't exist and they're abolished? Like, what does that future look like? For me, that future looks a lot like the past. Mm-hmm. Um, just, we have a problem in America where we think from an American-centric view, right? So if you uh, ask minorities in America to fantasize the past, well, that's a nightmare, right? But what I mean is the past past where a lot of us were in our homelands, right, living communally and things like that. Um, To me, that's what the other side looks like, just potentially here in America. I mean, I think about going to Mexico a lot, like, but I ain't never been, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem that a lot of us have, whether you're Latino, Black, um, you know, Filipino, whatever. it's probably some even Baltic, um, like white people probably think along the same lines, you know? Um, there's a deculturation that happens by necessity of you coming to America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think low key, if everyone leaned back into their culture, <laughs> um, no fat Joe and uh, <laughs> just, just uh, you know, 
really embrace the past, but the past of their people, not the past of this country, not the past of anything like that. I think that one, we could share knowledge amongst each other and live much more culpably, much more peacefully, and much more resourcefully. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, first of all, facts, like, because that makes me think about the, the way that we, um, like, moved about community work, especially during, you know, 2020 when the pandemic first started, folks, like, even the way that we, like, resourced ourselves during protests, like, I brought masks, I brought enough masks for everybody, I brought water, I brought enough water for everybody, mm -hmm. I only have $7, $7 is enough to buy hand sanitizer, so I brought hand sanitizer, you know what I'm saying, and, like, I remember we were passing around the same $20 for like a month. Like right. one person dropped the shirt, I gave them my $20. I dropped the shirt, they gave me their $20. Somebody drops a song, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Whatever the case is like. Um, but like that being the way that we like showed ourselves that it is possible for us to like cycle resources through ourselves and we manage them very well with the exception of obviously like there's like nuances with that as well. But like. Yeah, like we, it is possible for us to like operate in a very like community oriented way that like really like challenges that idea of like, I don't owe anybody anything. It's like, that's not true. Not only do you owe the people around you something, they also owe you something. And, and that's like ensuring that you're like good, making sure you're straight, making sure you have what you need. Like, why wouldn't I feel like I owe somebody something if, if they are also giving me what I need, if they're also looking out for me, watching my back, watching my kids, whatever the case is. And so that, is also like what I imagine when I think of abolition because I think that like like systemically that's not supported because then that yeah. would like it's dismantle it's every culture. exactly it's not systemic it's cultural exactly that's why but that's why you find that innately to be correct mm. same same reason why you do same reason why I do exactly. black indigenous Latino cultures and leadership are all collective exactly that's the way mm. that we naturally like operate and then it's like we have to like we're like unlearning or undoing mm -hmm. that in order to like assimilate but. Um, yeah, exactly. I think another thing that I think of is like a huge thing for like young people and I mean, you know, my young homies call me old, but I'm young, yeah. bro. <laughs> they be like, yo ass, they be trying to get on me. But anyway, um, but when I think about like young folks and even just like people who are creatives and imagine like imaginative, whatever the case is, um, Niggas need money to do what they want to do. Like, I feel like there is so much money floating in the atmosphere. When we were like, yeah, we're getting our asses kicked. Suddenly y'all have 100, 200, 300, 400 dollars to give us. But when I want to start a community initiative, when I want to get my park cleaned up, when I want to be able to give out skateboards to my homies, like nobody has any money. But when you're trying to like satisfy your white guilt, now y'all got some coin. So I feel like when I think about like what that, what that world looks like, it's like a release or like an equitable uh, equitable distribution of funds so that people can also like not only like survive but like live well and like dream and like have aspirations and nurture their passions which literally in turn like solves the issues that people are saying that they have niggas would not be outside doing half the shit they're doing if they had something else to do if they had other ways to make money if they had food if they had water if they had ways to nourish their hobbies like we've already sh like the, like we've already seen that that is like a solution to the problems that y'all are trying to solve with policing. So imagine what the world would look like if everybody had what they needed and more. As because we had the money, y'all just putting it in the wrong places. So, but yeah, that's what that's what I think about when I think of abolition. I think like you know just imagining the folks that I like share community with, um, being able to not only like survive but to be able to like 
I don't know, chill. Like, fuck around a little bit. Try some. Paint a little paint or some shit. Like, on me. So, I have like two little analogies I want to give. I just want to emphasize what was just said because one, right? Like, just the the economic reality of this violence mm-hmm. and what abolition offers us is a a, a real footing to actually challenge and subvert the logics of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like, there just some facts of we shouldn't even need money. To get the things that we need. Mm-hmm. That's fact. So that just as an assumption is something we we should not concede mm. and like challenge. But even within the money framework, right? Like we're looking around Chicago. There's been a housing crisis in our city and in our country. Mm-hmm. There are more vacant houses to maintain price for capital markets than there are houseless people. Yeah. Right. So it's not a it's not a, a, a an issue of scarcity or availability. It's an intentional systemic choice of how we're going to distribute those resources. We throw away more food than it would take to solve hunger, right? Mm-hmm. So that is important. And also to the point of indigeneity, and indigeneity exists everywhere on the planet. These systems are new, right? Like they, if you have a historical lens, they may feel old because they're older than our right. you know, little fragile bodies. But human beings or homo sapiens have been what we are from the estimates anywhere from 40,000 to 250,000 years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These institutions we're talking about are 100 to 150 years. So if we were talking about a clock, if humanity was a, was a 24-hour clock, we're only dealing with a few seconds, a few minutes on the clock of humanity. So we have so much ancestral memory. So I want to emphasize those things and give too quick like how I see abolition. So a, a personal like analogy or scenario. Let's say I'm walking anywhere in the city. And let's say I'm like tweaking, lacking, like not don't got my senses about me. I got my phone out and I'm talking on speaker real loud. Somebody comes up and harms me. Right? Somebody comes up, hits me in the face, blacks my eye, takes my phone, runs off. What we do now is I would be taught to call the police. First of all, probably nobody would come. Right. <laughs> right? They're ineffective with their job and they would come late mm-hmm. and then probably do nothing and tell me to yeah. do nothing. But what we imagine would happen is that then two folks who have a full-time salary in a car that needs repair and, and maintenance will then drive around for however much time that is they're getting paid for, find somebody likely use force of violence to mm-hmm. find apprehend that person mm-hmm. that person then goes in front of a judge with a bailiff with a da maybe a lawyer maybe a public defender then the judge slams the gavel then they go somewhere for months or a few years where they have to be fed clothed medically treated all of that is done inadequately but done at a price way more it's being gouged for profit right so all of that yeah. right I just described hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment in salary, and I still ain't got no phone and my eye is black. Mm-hmm. So let's just flip that, that think of like, okay, we're going to invest resources when harm happens. Mm-hmm. What if we invested in repairing those who were harmed yeah. instead of focusing punitively on those who may have perpetuated or committed the harm? So mm-hmm. take that little emblem of that act of harm and expand it to all harm, right? So if a family loses somebody, we spend, they, we, we'll put up a $10,000, $50,000 reward to, to catch the person, not saying that it doesn't, there needs to be a response to that. But what if we gave that to the family for therapy? Mm-hmm. What if we gave that mm-hmm. to the kids of who lost their parents to be able to go to school? Right? Right. Just a shift in how we invest resources in healing and repair is one thing. Mm-hmm. And then more on like a local, more structural microcosm, right? Because I think people think from the federal government down, yeah. and it really should be from the neighborhood up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in Chicago, we unfortunately, but fortunately for this metaphor, have a very linear city that's on a grid, mm-hmm. right? So most of our neighborhoods are roughly organized in these four by four blocks. Mm-hmm. And what we imagine should be in that neighborhood, that's, you know, for 
traditionally able-bodied folks, we imagine that to be a walking distance, mm -hmm. right? So within that walking distance of your home, you should have a park or a playground. Mm -hmm. You should have a public school. You should have a library. Maybe, maybe those things don't happen. Now let's imagine those things are guaranteed and fully resourced. But in addition to that, in walking distance, I also have an entity for food. Mm. I also have an entity for childcare, mm -hmm. for healthcare, for mental health care, for conflict resolution and restorative and transformative justice, for art, right? Mm -hmm. If all of those things are then in walking distance, we now have created infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Those are people that are in relationship with each other. Those are then mm -hmm. people that can then be po poised to respond to harm, but really more importantly, prevent the fact that we live in such a harmful, violent society. Mm -hmm. The fact that we accept this violence as a norm is also a thing that abolition asks us to challenge. Mm -hmm. So now we take that four by four, we have an infrastructure of people that can respond to everybody. Everybody generally knows their name. They know where folks live. We now are accountable to each other. And now let's network that over a city, mm -hmm. right? So now all of Pilsen's blocks have this. All of North Lawndale's blocks have mm -hmm. this. Everywhere in South Shore has this. In Uptown and Rogers Park have this. Mm -hmm. And now these networks are networked with each other. And we basically, ha I didn't even say anything new yet, right? right. Like I started with abolition is about things that don't exist currently. But just with what we know how to do mm -hmm. through indigenous practice, but also through like our modern infrastructure, right. that could be, even if it doesn't solve violence, it doesn't end it, it would be so much better mm -hmm. than the shit that's happening now. Right? Mm -hmm. And so those are two ways I try to make it like graspable for people because mm -hmm. it's hard to think of, you know, there's two million or however many cops all over. Like, how are we going to tear all that down? Let's start from our neighborhood mm -hmm. and build what people need. And through health, through education, through community, we will create the connections to then be the person to respond to domestic violence, to then be able to respond to child abuse, to then be able to, you know, sexual harm and all the violence. We, mm -hmm. we, the, the folks that do it now are actually not experts in any of these things. Mm -hmm. Instead of sending someone who's trained in that, mm -hmm. we send one person with a gun. Mm -hmm. You know, and so guns, chains, fines and cages are not going to solve any of the problems ailing our community that I just named. Mm -hmm. Healing will, and let's invest in that. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate that you, you know, painted the picture for that, because I think when the topic of like abolition comes, like it can, for a lot of people, if you don't know, it can seem intimidating, or it can seem like really big picture, like, I don't know what that looks like, it looks too far into the future. But I love that you really grounded us, grounded us in that, like, no, it can really just be like something that we improve on in our own communities, as you know, as small as like within the four blocks of where we live. So I appreciate you like, you know, painting a picture of that and helping, you know, bring people into like imagining what that would look like. And also, of course, everyone else on, you know, what a world would look like where, you know, these systems don't exist. Um, and so I just want to, again, just thank you guys so much for coming, bringing your full selves, talking your shit. Yeah, appreciate y'all. Appreciate yeah. Such an important space. Yeah. You know, for real. offering to, to our community. Man, no, thank you guys for real. And thank you for the work that you do. And as creatives also, like, you're such a big part of, like, keeping this conversation going and the culture going is through art and through healing in that way. So I really appreciate y'all for coming again. I want to give everyone an opportunity to be able to support you um, and uplift the work that you do. So what's the best way for us to connect with you uh, and, and anything like that? So I'm Jordan Esparza, heavy but light on every platform. That's H-E-A-V-Y-B-U-T-L-I-T-E, L-I-T-E, at the end, heavybelight.com. Um, and yeah, keep up with me through that. Nice, yeah. Um, 
I mean, I guess I can follow my Instagram. Um, <laughs> um, my Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> no, DMs are closed. Respect yourself. Um, but, but yeah. So my Instagram is naira.bill. So n-a-i-r-a dot bills. Um, fun fact. Uh, Naira is a Nigerian currency, so that's why my name is Naira, you know what I'm saying? No money though, but um, but yeah, but that's my nickname, that's what folks call me. Um, and my Twitter is at Super Naira. Um, making the decision to follow me on Twitter is like a self-choice. Uh, so, like, I think so, I follow you on Twitter, actually. You're I am scary. so sorry. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 no,
Fuck it, I'll let's talk. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> um, but thank you for inspiring me to plug what's your point. Um, definitely follow Black Rising as well, because, uh, yeah, I mean, we do some work, but we're also taking a pause because we are also like just four people. So, um, but Black Rising, so BLCK Rising. But also, I'm a part of an initiative called Love and Happiness, which collects hair care products um, and redistributes them. And we're starting our donation season soon. And it started by Matt Muse. Shout out to the gang. Um, but yeah, that's all. Okay. Beautiful. No, absolutely. And thank you guys again. I'm so grateful to have y'all here. Aw, appreciate you. Yes, you can follow me on underscore. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but thank you guys so much. And that concludes our episode. So stay tuned for our next episode on treatment of youth by Chicago Electeds. Special shout out again to Soapbox and our special guests. Thank you guys. See you again soon. <laughs>